Good morning, church. I've been wondering what to pray about this week, and the Lord's really put on my heart to pray for missions and for our personal witness. And it's particularly pertinent as this is the first Sunday of the month, and uh, traditionally this is our Mission Sunday. In Matthew 9 we read, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. Brother Andrew, known to many as God's smuggler, for the work he did in taking Bibles into communist countries is reported to have said, If we understood the potential power of our prayers, we would be on our knees a hundred times a day asking him, the Lord, for things that would turn the world upside down. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we declare that great and marvellous are your deeds. We give thanks and praise for you alone are worthy. Thank you for your amazing power, your great love, your care and your blessings to us. God of truth and love, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, hear our prayer for those who do not know you. We ask that may, they may come to the saving knowledge of your love for them. Sustain, inspire and enlighten each of us to bring the gospel to all those we meet. Bring fresh vigour to our faith and give us a wider, a Christian church, renewed missionary zeal. May missionaries be raised up who will follow you, not only to the ends of the world, but also to those living in their local communities. Make us witnesses to your goodness, and help us to draw others to the fullness of your love. We pray that all Christians will be given strength and perseverance to share the gospel with those with whom they have contact. Lord, we ask that you set up divine appointments bringing people across our paths who need your presence and encouragement that only you can bring to their lives. We pray against discouragement, disappointment, fear and doubt in witnessing. We pray that the light of God will shine through the darkness, lifting oppression as your love is shared. Lord, help us to continuously be aware of those around us. Give us your eyes and your discernment to see needs and the wisdom to know how to help. Let us be your hands and feet as we seek to serve others and may they see your light in our lives. Lord, as a church, we reaffirm our commitment to supporting the dissemination of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, both within Australia and overseas. Lord, we give you thanks for those who are called into full-time Christian ministry. We pray that they will be given open doors to share the gospel and that their words and actions will be inspired by the Holy Spirit. We pray for the spiritual development, strength and growth of our partner missionaries and their churches. May they have success in fulfilling God's purposes in the places that they are called to work. In particular, we pray for Pastor Andrew in Myanmar, Faith Bible College, Shiloh Bible College, 
evangelism and discipleship training schools in Mandalay and Graceworks in Myanmar. We pray too for the new CRC headquarters project in Colombo and ask that this building will be a focal point for spreading the gospel throughout the nation of Sri Lanka. In Australia, we pray for Pastor Jeremy Steele, missionary at large, and Pastor Barry Silverback. May they and those who work with them know your direction and see your ongoing provision for their ministries, especially at this time of COVID restrictions. We pray for the ongoing health and safety of all missionaries and for the provision of financial support. Lord, show us how we can provide support, both prayerful and financial. Lord, in a world so full of need, it's hard to limit our prayers. However, at this time, we pray specifically for Christians who are displaced in northern Nigeria because of the Islamic extremist group Boko Haram. For those in Uzbekistan who are facing arrest, fines and jail for simply practising their faith and possessing Christian literature. And for the government of Turkey, who has recently imposed tight new residency restrictions and entry bans on serving pastors from overseas. May these bans be overturned. Lord, we have so much to give thanks for. Forgive us for the times we don't stop to acknowledge who you are and what you've done for us and those around us. Help us to set our eyes, our hearts on you afresh. Renew our spirit, fill us daily with your Holy Spirit, and give us the courage to witness boldly to our faith in both word and deed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Anthony, for leading us so beautifully in prayer as you always do. And while we're in that posture of prayer, let us just continue to pray uh, for this morning's uh, word. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that it speaks to us, that it, that it is alive. And that as we uh, read the pages of scripture, uh, Jesus, you uh, jump out of it and, and teach us things about ourselves and about who you are and what you've done. And Lord, this morning again, we pray that that be the case, that as we uh, go through these chapters, as we look at your word, Lord, that you'd speak. Uh, Lord, that you'd touch hearts. Uh, Lord, that you'd be doing a, a work uh, in in our hearts and, and in our minds as we dwell on uh, your goodness and, and dwell on your word this morning. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm used to looking this way, now I'm looking that way. <laughs> That's all good. Uh, good morning, everyone. I'm really excited about this morning uh, as we continue in our series on Joshua. I uh, trust that it's been uh, helpful to you as you've been uh, journeying along with us. Uh, for if, you've, if you're tuning in for the first time, we've been going through the, the book of jo Joshua pretty much verse by verse, really, um, and pulling out of it principles and things that the Lord is speaking to us personally, but also corporately as a church, and how that relates to us as the body of Christ. Uh, as, as Joshua is a Jesus-like character who leads the people into the promised land of Jesus leads us into the promises of God, the things that uh, he has for us. And so there really is a, a correlation for us as we read this Old Testament story about how the Lord um, speaks to us this morning. And we're going to continue that. But first, before we get to sort of chapter 7 where we're up to, just a bit of a, a recap. Uh, Joshua really comes in uh, the meta-narrative story uh, 
as part of God's plan in making for himself a people who will live to his, what we say, law. Now, I don't like the word law because it has all these connotations to it. I like the word design or purpose or uh, his structure for us. So God actually has designed us to live a certain way and he's designed something for the Israelites to be And that was to be a light to the nations, to share of God's goodness, of his mercy and of his grace, to be attractive that other nations and people groups around would see the wonder of who God was and want to come into that fellowship. And of course, we see that today in the New Testament through Jesus, that Jesus has enabled that for us. And he calls us, the church, now to be that, that light to the world. But this is, this is a time in that history where God promised Abraham way earlier that there would be a promised land for this to outwork in. And in order to get the people to that promised land, they had obstacles that they had to get over. And one of that was to actually get across the river into the promised land. And then once they're there, uh, there was a people group that were already living there. Uh, that they needed to um, battle war against in order to, to drive out. And I'm going to talk about that because some people have a bit of a problem with that, but I'm going I'm to mention that a bit later on this morning. And so God works in miraculous ways to lead the children of Israel. And we see thematically the order in which this happens, the, the design is that people have faith to listen to the Lord and then have faith to be obedient to what the Lord has said. And in that, they have success. In fact, we talked about this in the first chapter of Joshua, where the the strong and courageous verses that we really love and and put on our walls and on (laughs) on T-shirts and things, really um, uh, couples the, the bit in the middle, which is the most important part of that verse, which is sticking to the plan. It is sticking to the book. It is, is actually being obedient to the design, the law of God. And so in Joshua, up until this point, we see that working and we see that in success. We see uh, the people um, crossing the, the Jordan River in flood stage in a miraculous way. Uh, we see the Lord lead them to be uh, consecrated and to start living out the Passover Now, what I didn't mention last week was this is the third time since the actual Passover that they actually celebrated it. So now that they're in the the land, they're actually celebrating and remembering the goodness of God. And then there's, of course, the, the famous story of the walled city of Jericho and how they don't really do anything. They're kind of just passively on, <laughs> onlookers, really, in this, this whole story where they march around it and God causes the walls to fall down. And all of this has been following the formula of having faith to listen and then having faith to be obedient in, in following those instructions. And then this morning, we see that system, that way of living, fall apart, and we see the drastic consequences of that. But before we get to uh, chapter 7, there's a little bit in chapter 6 that I just want to mention, and that was the Lord had instructed uh, the people that when uh, Jericho fell, that they were to uh, not take any of the plunder, so any of the gold and silver, any of the the nice uh, ornaments and things like that were not to be taken for themselves, but were to be used in the Lord's treasury. It says it uh, in, if you look in chapter uh, 6, verse 24, 
Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. I'm going to come back to that word. Um, but they put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. Now, this was their actual instruction. And here we see uh, the principle of tithing. Here we see the principle of the first fruits uh, being given to the Lord. Uh, later on, the Lord actually enables them to, for the things that they capture to be taken into their own homes and to be used for themselves. But here we see the principle of uh, biblical tithing that we see throughout Scripture. And that is our first fruits are to be given to the Lord. It's not that we sort of have a look at what we, we own, what we receive, and then work out, well, I, I need this much to live by to support my lifestyle, and whatever's left over at the end, then that goes to the Lord. Uh, here we see a picture of first fruits. The, the first victory that they had in the promised land, the first successful defeat, uh, out of that, the very first bits of that, um, the battle, the loot, uh, was to be given to the Lord. Now, I say that because uh, sometimes we struggle uh, in our, our giving, perhaps, or we struggle with the, the concept of, of how we use our resources. And whether you use a 10% number or whether you use another way of being generous, what's important to see here is that the first fruits, that we first give to the Lord and then we live out with what's remaining. Now, I also say that because what actually happens in the next chapter is actually a response to not doing that. We, we look at somebody, Achan, who actually doesn't uh, give to the Lord, he actually takes for himself, and we see the disastrous consequences. And we're going to look at that right now. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 7. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in, regarded to, in regards to the devoted things. It's not that bit, it's all right. Um, but, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to what I was just talking about, the things that they are to give to the Lord. Achan, or I'm told it's pronounced Achan, but I'm not going to do that every time I say his name. <laughs> uh, son of Kami, so that's his dad. Son of Zirmi, that's his granddad. Son of Zerah, that's his grand-granddad. Of the tribe of Judah took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to, now it says in your Bibles, A-I, but it's pronounced I. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel. And he told them, go up and spy out the region. Okay, similar kind of process. So, he, so the men went and spied out Ai. Now, Ai is more of a rural kind of farming town in comparison to Jericho. Jericho was the big city that had fortified walls. And Ai was just kind of this kind of country town, if you, if you like. And so when they returned to Joshua, they said, oh, well, not all the people have to go up against I. It's just a small place. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about three thousand men went up, but they were routed by the men of I, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. 
At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Now, where have you heard that phrase before, that their hearts melted? When Rahab talked about the fear of the Canaanites in terms of the Israelites coming, they said, we, our hearts melted in fear. So now it's turned around, and now all of a sudden the Israelite army are melting in fear. So what on earth is happening here? We've gone from success to success to success. Now all of a sudden there is a failure. Why is this so? What is actually going on? Well, the process has been broken. The listening to the instruction and being obedient to it has been left by the wayside. No longer is there a way of defeating the next town, listening to the instruction from the Lord. Now they simply go, well, Lord, thanks for the, the defeat of the walls. We needed your help there. But this is just like, we can handle this. Just leave this one up to us. And they become self-confident. And they come, become prideful in believing that they themselves, in their own effort, are able to take on the next town. And of course, there's an important principle here in that uh, we need to continually be listening to and obedient to the, to the voice of God. And in the New Testament, we call that walking with the Spirit in our lives. And, and obedient to that in, in the way that we, we live it out. But there's another thing uh, that, that's actually happening here. And that is um, that unless we're able to come to the Lord and fall on our face in prayer, you, you might remember last chapter when the angel of the army of the Lord came to Joshua, he fell face down in, in prayer. And that out of that experience, he was then able to go and be obedient, and the walls of Jericho fall down. See, prayer and communion with the Lord is, is so important in our lives, and it keeps us humble. Uh, it keeps us from being overconfident or prideful. You see, before when uh, they listened to the Lord, their obstacles or their enemies seemed small. So when we are... Um, Sometimes when we fear things, uh, things seem, seem bigger than they are. But when we're prideful, when we're full of ourselves, they actually seem smaller than they are. And that's what, precisely what was happening for the people here. We've got this. We can handle it. Don't, don't, we don't need any of your miracles in this time. We can just go in and do it. And because of their pride and because of breaking that, um, the, the ingredient of what worked, uh, they, they failed uh, big time. And so, and, and then we, we're discovering, well, what is not only that, but the other reason for um, the defeat? And so we, we read on and we find out. So the, the, the people's hearts melted. Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there until evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. That's a symbol of mourning and frustration. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about it and they will surround us and wipe us out. Oh, uh, wipe us out, our name from the earth. 
what then will you do for your great name? Now, what on earth has happened to Joshua? <laughs> Does this sound like the Joshua of the early chapters? This actually sounds very similar to what the people wandering in the desert before, you know, oh, what did you bring us out here for? It's way better back in Egypt. There were leeks and onions, and it was so wonderful back there. What did you bring us out of here for disaster and for people to wipe us out? Joshua's now sounding like that. What, what, what's happened? Where's this great leader, this great Moses-like character that has been exalted before the people, where the people say, whatever you do, we'll do. Something's going on here. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. Why are you, why are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. So now we find the reason for the defeat. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things they had stolen. They have lied, and they have put them in their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever is among you, whatever among you is devoted to destruction. So here now we find the reason, the true reason for their defeat, that someone or Israel has, has sinned and have not kept the covenant and kept the commands that the Lord has said. So what happens next is that they decide to find out who it is who has sinned. Now, what happens next is they, they cast lots. This is something that we see in biblical times. It's not to do with luck. Uh, God was in the, the process of casting lots. They get all of Israel before Joshua, and they, 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 they start naming the, the tribe that it came from. So it was from Judah. So remember, Achan was described, and, and his family name was, was given. So first of all, it's Judah. And you can imagine Achan standing there going, oh, okay, it's, it's okay. And then it's his great-great-grandfather's clan. Oh, okay. Ooh. And then it's his grandfather's clan. And all of a sudden, it's his father's clan. And he's getting a bit more nervous. And then all of a sudden, it's discovered that it's him. Now, what's really interesting about Achan is that he only confesses his sin when he's found out. That he only really repents when it's been exposed and there's, there's something in that for us as we live our lives is that we actually kind of need a, a light shined on certain aspects of our life sometimes to be exposed in order to make us aware of it, in order that we might repent of it and might change our ways. But Aiken's response only comes when it's exposed. And I'm going to just skip over now to... Um, uh, verse 20. So, so these lots happen, and it says, Achan replied, It's true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hiding in the ground inside my tent. So what Achan's done is he's actually taken the plunder and has hidden it in his own tent. And this was the sin. And this was what angered the Lord because all of a sudden this sin has the potential to pollute and influence the whole nation of Israel. They're in the promised land now. 
they're a generation that fully obedient and, and listening to the, the ways of the Lord. They're not like the wandering generation. Finally, we're here and finally we're pure. Finally, we're right. And straight away, there's this, there's this little bit of sin that comes through and has the potential to actually work its way through the whole camp of Israel. That's why the Lord is so severe in his dealing with this and saying you have to wipe it out. And in the end, not only him, but his whole family are, are taken out in order to, to deal with this, this sin. But I just want just, to just talk on this for a moment because it, I think it's quite interesting that it, number one, shows that we are a fallen humanity and that there is ultimately a need to deal with sin forever. And Jesus has actually done that for us. Here was the, the promised people. Uh, they were a generation, as I said, fully under the covenant, doing all the right things. And even in the best situation, even when all of the, the cards were right, even, even when everything was, was perfect, sin reared its ugly head. And it's a picture that, uh, that we are born into uh, the, the doctrine of sin. We are a sinful uh, humanity and we are in need of salvation from that because even when it was perfect, even when everything was right, here it reared its ugly head. Secondly, I want to look at the way in which Achan replied and, and in, in how he sort of talked about his sin. And I've highlighted uh, some verbs here that he uses uh, in his response. He says, he says, I saw the plunder, I coveted, and I took. Now, where have you heard similar statements in Scripture said, if we turn ourselves back all the way to Genesis and we see Adam and Eve in the garden, we, we see Eve's answer. She says, I saw the apple and I wanted it and I took it. So here we see really the original sin. Here we see that uh, all, all of our sinful nature actually comes from that selfishness of seeing something that's not ours and wanting it and taking it for ourselves. So whether that be through greed, through violence, through stealing, through um, many other um, ways in which sin out, outworks itself, it all comes down to this, this um, central sort of thing that we see not only in Eve but here in Achan. He says, I saw it, I coveted it, and I took it. And out of that, um, he then pollutes uh, Israel. And so after, after that, they, they severely deal with Achan and they, they, they get rid of, of that and then they have success. Now they're back to the original plan. They're back to the original document, following, listening to the, the will of God and, and taking uh, nation after nation after nation and then they go through the land and defeat everyone who is in the land. And that's, that's Joshua. Now, um, next week, we're going to be looking at the very end of Joshua. But I'm just going to talk um, just quickly. Well, not quickly. I'm going to talk for as long as I want. Um, <laughs> about, uh, the next, uh, about a question that some of you might have. And it's a question that I've heard uh, many ask, in, in, particularly in relation to Joshua. But I've also heard it as, as a question, you know, as we uh, 
need to have an answer for people's questions, particularly people who perhaps haven't grown up in faith and, and we're witnessing to them as uh, Anthony was praying. As, as we go out and as we bear witness, people often have this question and it's often a, a hiccup. It's often a, a, a stumbling block to why people can believe in a God and it's this. And we see it all through Joshua. God seems to uh, advocate wiping people out. What, why is that? I mean, Jesus said, love your enemies, and um, he was a very peaceful person. This person of Jesus seems very different to this Old Testament God that's working with uh, Israel's army to wipe whole nations out. Like, what is the deal with that? What is, what is going on? How can I get over that concept of God allowing that to happen? Now, to answer that question, I want to answer it in three different ways. I've got time for it this morning. Three ways. Firstly, I want to say that at the time of Joshua and um, this whole ancient civilized world, we are dealing with cultures who were very violent. We are dealing with countries who, who protected their boundaries and took over other nations in order to, to get plunder and to get goats and, and stock and land that they could um, make food from. So we are dealing in an age where countries are at war against other countries anyway. And this is a picture and, as I said before, an example of the fact that humanity is actually born into sin. We are born with this notion of, of violence and wanting to take, to seeing, to coveting, and to wanting and to taking. And we see that in the nations in the way that they acted towards one another. Now, the fact is, if God wasn't with Israel and leading them and allowing them to win battle, the, the very fact is that the other nations would have actually wiped them out because that is who they were, because that is, that is the way that they, that they lived. The, the, the nations would have, wouldn't have been living under God's command and wouldn't have listened to, to the Lord. They just wanted more territory and they just would have completely wiped out the Israelites. So in order for, for God's plan to take place and for Jesus to come through the line of Israel, God had to actually protect the people of Israel and work in that world, to work in that world of violence and able to, to bring that about. Uh, in fact, it just shows that the need for Jesus to actually come and, and to deal with this, this sinful fallen nature because we have free choice. We have the ability to choose God or to not choose God. And in that, we can choose to uh, live in that, that sinful world or we can live in the ways that he has for us in his design. And he's made that in order that if we were forced to love him, if we were forced to be in his family, we'd just be puppets or robots at best, or at worst it would be abuse that he's forcing us to, to love him. So there has to be free choice in order for us to choose to, to love him. But that free choice comes at a cost and that others choose 
to not love him and choose to live that way. And that's what we saw with those other nations. So number one, it was the kind of world that they were living in anyway, and God chose to actually work in that system. Number two, when the Bible um, and in Joshua talks about total destruction, talk about completely wiping them out, um, it's actually hyperbole. Hyperbole is where you would exaggerate something to talk about making a point. So, for example, I would say to my children, I have told you a million times to clean your room. Now, I haven't told them a million times, but I'm exaggerating to make the point that I've told them lots of times. And so what's happening here in the Bible is using hyperbole to say that they completely wipe them out. They're the complete destruction. Because later on, God says to them, don't intermarry and don't do business with them. Well, it's hard to intermarry and do business with the people that are completely wiped out. So the, the word there, in fact, if you have a study Bible, um, when, it, when it comes to a word like uh, complete destruction or complete uh, desolation or uh, there were no survivors left, it, it, is, it is exaggerating to make the point that they did a good job of actually um, not completely wiping out, but getting rid of the things that were uh, against the way of the Lord. I'm going to get to that in, in a minute. In fact, if you've got a study Bible, I don't know if the, the, the camera's going to pick this up. Um, where, where are we? There we go. The Hebrew term used refers to complete consecration of things or, or people to the Lord, either by destroying them or giving them as an offering. So the, the, um, the writers of the, the Bible, oh, and then over here, oh, look, whoa, where are we? It says it again. It, it, they're making a point when it comes to that word destruction. And, oh, hang on a minute. Turn over the page again. There it is. The Hebrew term used refers to the complete consecration of things. So to, for the consecration of things is not necessarily destruction, and sometimes it was. It was removing idols. It was removing the things that could influence uh, Israel. But it was also um, sort of turning things around to be, to be used for God's, God's purposes. So God didn't necessarily completely wipe out and completely annihilate people. So that's point two. And point three uh, really is my main point this morning. And that is, in order for the people of Israel to be all that God wanted them to be, they needed to be pure. And we saw it in God's dealing with Achan's sin, the drastic sense of we've got to get rid of this influence. In fact, Achan, his name is Troublemaker. We've got to get rid of the Troublemaker and the, the other things that might trouble us and cause us to not be a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a set-apart people. And so as they enter the land, there are a people group in that land that were very, very unholy. That They did things that were detestable to the Lord. They were involved in religious practices that were, were gross, that... Um, were harsh and that were disgusting. And so here we see God dealing with um, a sin by judging that sin and by judging it, by, by removing it. 
In fact, we've been talking about <coughs> um, Joshua foreshadowing Jesus. If you really want to blow your mind, think about the fact that Joshua was used to come and to deal with the sin that was in that, that place and to judge it by wiping it out. Jesus is the one who comes into our life and has completely dealt with sin once and for all and has judged it in himself by giving it to himself on a tree and being buried with it, being made alive again in order that we might live without the consequences of that sin. So there's, there's a picture for you. But here's, here's what's going on, is that there are these religious practices. I'm going to take you to two verses to show you that, that this is the case. In Leviticus, uh, before the Lord takes them into the land, he says in Leviticus 18, I think it's going to come up. <laughs> it says, uh, that's Deuteronomy, go to Leviticus. It says, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they did in Egypt, where you used to go, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my ways, my design and be careful to follow my decrees. And then if we go to Deuteronomy, it also says, the Lord your God will cut off before you the nations that you are about to invade and dispossess. But when you have driven them out and settled in the land after they have been destroyed before you, listen to this, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way because they worship their gods. They do all kinds of detestable things that the Lord hates. Now, I know that I've probably got some, some kids watching. We're not going to go into the detestable <laughs> things, but you can read about it uh, in Leviticus 18 and in following uh, that. You might want to do that later on. So here we have the potential influence of a nation to pollute and to work its way into the camp of Israel. And so in, in wiping out, in getting rid of those influences, they're actually getting rid of the things that could potentially uh, come and they would look at their idols, look at their gods, oh, maybe we'll do that and we'll turn away from the way, the, the recipe of success, which is faith to listen and faith to be obedient. Trust and obey, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. And so I was thinking about this, how there are things in our world that influence us and come into play. Uh, Joe and I, in our going out years, uh, were part of a small group and we, we went to another church to be part of this small group because we were um, very involved in, in ministry in our church. And one of the guys who was leading it was an amazing musician, a uh, really incredible musician. And he would talk about um, his favourite artist, Sting, and how musical Sting was in time signatures and, and how he used music to, to, to write his, his songs. And a couple of months later, uh, at their church, someone had come along and given a sermon about needing to rid ourselves of everything that's not Christian. <laughs> and so what happened for this home group and for many others, they got all of their non-Christian CDs they went up to a mountain and they threw them off the mountain to get rid of the, the influences um, that, that might kind of invade them. Now, I'm not suggesting that we do that. 
In fact, I don't, I don't think it's right to throw out the baby with the bathwater. In fact, there is so many in our creation, so much in God's creation, so much out there that the Lord actually uses and that the, the Lord is in. I just think of music and poetry and, and art um, that the Lord really speaks to us through, even if the people who did it weren't of faith. Um, but I was thinking about this scenario and he deeply regretted it later on um, because he just loved loved the music and I was thinking about my own music um, as I was driving I grew up listening to punk rock because I was in a punk rock band and a lot of the lyrics a lot of the themes you know they're they're not really all that wholesome Uh, a lot of the lyrics uh, don't really sort of lift you up in the Lord Um, and I was listening to a particular album that was my favourite band, and I found myself now going, well, I'll skip that track. I'll skip that track. I'll have to skip that track. And what I found myself doing was actually processing what I was was listening to. Now, the good thing about music these days is that it's all on iTunes, and what I can do is actually go into my iTunes account, and it's got these tick boxes and you can untick particular songs so that when it syncs to my iPad or my, my phone or my uh, iPod, it no longer has those songs in it, and I can just listen to the album without those songs. Now, I, I say that as, as an illustration and of something I've done, but I just want to leave with this point, and that is as we walk into the promises of God, as we ourselves are going into deeper things of God this year, as we are being led into what he has for us. I wonder if Jesus sometimes comes into to our space and says, what is it around here that we need to untick? Is there something in your life that you need to uh, be rid of, that you need to completely destroy, consecrate before the Lord? Is there something that you see in here that you, you see, you want and you've taken that you need to repent of? Are there things in our lives that we need to untick? It's a question that I'm asking myself and a question that hopefully as you've been, been listening to this story and you've been relating it to your own life that you'd be asking too. Now, as, as we look around the promised land of, of what God's bringing us into, what in, in this space uh, do we see as a potential influence, a potential uh, stumbling block, a potential thing that would cause us to see it and want it and take it and not actually then live in the purposes of God? I want to leave you with that, that question this morning. Uh, as, as Jesus wants to lead us into going deeper, into all that he has for us. What is it around us in our world as we go out that we see that we need to actually ask the questions about are these things healthy? Are these things wholesome? Are these things actually helpful in in building me up in my faith? Or do I not need them? Maybe I don't need to be watching that show. Maybe I don't need to be listening to that song. Maybe I don't need to be reading that book. Maybe I just don't need them anymore and I can get rid of them, just like the people were asked to do as they were led into that promised land. 
Get rid of the idols. Get rid of the things in this world, the, the, the practices and the ways of, of living. And don't let that pollute you. Don't let that come in and, and, and come into you. See, sin starts within and it works its way out. For, for Achan, it was that sense of wanting something and wanting something for himself and wanting to take it. And the consequence of that was horrendous. It didn't only affect Achan. The Israel's army melted in fear because of it. Uh, Achan's family passed away because of it. Joshua questioned God because of it. So it had an, a consequence that rippled out. And it wasn't just an inside thing. It, it went, went out. And so it's really important that as we live our lives, that we, we, we are just conscious of that. I'm aware of the time, so I'll just, I'll just end on that. Uh, we're going to sing a song, and as we sing this song, it, it speaks of a holy God. And one of the ways in which it was worked out in the Old Testament was the holy God couldn't be with a sinful people for there to be communion but God had done something miraculous in Jesus and he has dealt with our sin and the consequence of it in order for us to be in relationship and in partnership with him. And only a holy God could do that. And so as we sing that, that song, I just want you to reflect uh, in your life and in your journey and, and use this time to really open yourself up. You know, what does the Lord Jesus need to shine his light on in your life? What is he exposing uh, in, in your life that might require you to say, yeah, okay, I saw it and I wanted it and I took it. Uh, forgive me and help me to, to rid myself of that and to consecrate that to you, Lord Jesus. So as we sing, my prayer is that you'd be able to, to do that and that the Lord would be working in your life. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, like Joshua coming in and conquering the land and, and ridding uh, that land of, of a people group who were disastrous in, in, in their idol worship. Lord Jesus, you have come into our lives and you have, have dealt with, with the sin, so there's no more consequences of it. But Lord, uh, in, in living in this world, sometimes we're, we're caught in that, that, that crosshair of... We're, we're in it, but we're not yet dealt with it. So, Lord, we just pray that right now as we sing this song, that you'd be speaking to us, be revealing things to us, and, that, Lord, that you'd be doing a miracle in our heart, that you'd be restoring us and, and doing a work in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
worship the holy God. Come and worship the holy God. Lord, we thank you that you've been with us this morning. We thank you that you've been speaking to not only us as a church, but us individually too. And this morning, Lord, as we reflect on these chapters that we've, we've read and we've, we've uncovered your purposes and your desire for us to be a holy people, a royal peace, priesthood, a holy nation set apart for you, just as the Israelites were called to be. Uh, in the same way, Lord, we just pray that you continue to work in our hearts. Lord, that you'd just be giving us courage to be strong and courageous, to stick to the plan, to stick to the the plan that is going to bring success and and prosperity, to to not walk from it, to not part from it. Your design for us, Lord, is to have faith to listen, to have faith to be obedient, to trust you, and to walk in your ways. And so, Lord, as we walk in your ways and as we go into this week, Continue to speak to us and work in us. Uh, shine your light, Lord, on the areas of our lives that perhaps the the areas where we have seen and we've wanted and taken. Perhaps the areas that we don't even know that we've we've worked in those ways. Areas where we're we're looking around us in the world we're living, and we see so many things that have potential to to work like the disease in the camp and work its way through. Lord, before it gets to that point, we just pray that you'd do a work in us and that we'd be able to remove those things from, from our eyes, that we'd be able to, to, to walk cleanly and, and holy before you and, and dance in communion with you, not worried about the guilt and the consequences that so easily come when we walk down that way but that we're to be trusting in you not only this week but in the weeks to come in the months to come in the years to come and that we'd be singing those songs at the end where we say you've been faithful you've been faithful in carrying us through all the days of our life we pray this in Jesus name Amen Thank you everyone for, for joining us this morning. Uh, we're really looking forward to the next couple of weeks as we continue to uh, improve the space and, and get it ready for coming and gathering in person uh, in three or perhaps four weeks' time uh, when we do that. Uh, until then, we're going to be coming to you again uh, from, from here next week and we really look forward and, and invite you to tune in again next week as, as we do that. So. Bless you all as you go out in your day. And until next week, we'll see you then.